first half. What's up, everybody? Welcome to At The Hive Live, a new podcast on the At The Hive podcast feed. This is an addition to John and Zach's show. I am your host for this show, Chase, and my co-host, James, will be bringing on occasional guests, doing mailbag episodes, and a whole host of other things, including potential live streams someday in the future, to allow the Hornets community to get more involved with this podcast. So, James, uh, if you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself and how you've been doing, go right ahead. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Chase. So, yeah, I'm James Plarright, also known as British underscore Buzz on Twitter, uh, also writing for At The Hive a, a little bit this year, dabbling here and there. So, uh, yeah, excited to, to get this new kind of little podcast project underway. Me and Chase have been talking about this now for probably a good, I don't know, a good month or so. Um, it's gone through a few iterations of what it could actually look like. Um, turns out live streaming on YouTube, a lot harder than, than you think. I swear, I swear all these like 13-year-old kids can stream on YouTube, Chase. And we tried and we, we just could not figure oh, it out yeah. now. Yeah, we had no chance. We were, we were doomed from the start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, to kind of explain a little bit how this works and, and Chase touched on it there. This is going to kind of not be replacing the the current great at the high podcast, which I'm hopefully you're already subscribed to if you listen to this, um, or if you haven't, make sure you subscribe on the the iTunes feed now. But it's just a, an addition, really. So very much like the the Ringer NBA show, if any of you listen to the AirPods, where they've got different kind of shows and pods uh, under that kind of one podcast feed and. Me and Chase spent a lot of time like trying to talk about how can we be different? We don't just want to be, you know, there's so many great podcasts out there already. How can we be different? And I think the thing me and Chase settled on really was about making this podcast really for the fans and about the fans. So interacting people from the At The Hive community, speaking to people in our message boards who comment on our articles, who tweet the At The Hive account, speaking to some of the biggest Hornets fans, uh, there are out there and we'll be speaking to one hopefully live later on um, but this is how we really want to feature a lot of Hornets fans and, and get to know them and, and really kind of build a podcast for the community yeah exactly you know this isn't the the Hornets aren't the largest online basketball community so for what for all of us that are here we have to interact with each, with each other we have to stick together it's nice to be able to you know share our interests together so we're, we're just hoping to be able to provide an outlet for anybody to be able to do that. So you want to just get, ro- get right on rolling into it? Yeah, I think so. We'll uh, outline a little bit of an agenda for today. So most of our shows, I mean, we're, go- we're going to kind of review the structure as we go. This is our very first podcast. We have never recorded one before. So we are very much learning as we go, folks. So bear with us. And actually, interestingly, like me and Chase have never met. Um, we simply have written together at the high. We've had a few conversations over Zoom and we just wanted to give this a go. But we're going to start with this kind of setup of the podcast and we might, we might change it, we, we might not, but we want to get your guys' feedback really on, on how successful it is. So we're going to start the pod looking at a couple kind of key topics for today. So we're going to be looking how Devontae and Lamelo have looked in the backcourt together. Uh, over the last kind of three games before Terry came back and and kind of reviews how how they've performed. Then we're also going to look on how Lamelo has really grown since the start of the season and what me and Chase have seen from from Lamelo and in the areas that he's really improved. And then hopefully we are going to be having Hector, aka Sombrero Man, on Twitter if you're not already following him, uh, coming on the pod. I'm going to be talking to him about his his fandom. Um, his support for the team and, and loads of other really interesting topics around that as well. And we've got a couple of features, which we're hopefully going to do with each of our guests each week, right at the end, they're going to be making a, a stinging hot take. And also they're going to be uh, defending the indefensible, indefensible, sorry, a, a little uh, game that I've got from a, a podcast radio show that I listen to over here in the UK, if that wasn't already obvious where I'm from. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I guess we'll hand it straight over to you, Chase. Obviously, we had the opportunity to finally see Lamelo start when Terry got injured in, in that game in Milwaukee. And, you know, for those first 
few games, Miami, Philadelphia, and obviously Terry came back last night. We finally got to see the Devonte uh, Lamelo minutes, which we hadn't seen too many of before that. A lot of the time, Lamelo seemed to play with Terry in that second unit more than Devonte. So, just want to kind of see what you made of that small sample size because projecting forward, you know, what's what a lot of fans are clamoring for long term for those two to potentially be here. So, what are your thoughts, Chase? Well. Like you said, the, the sample size is really small so far. So I guess we, we can't be too definitive with it. But I, 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 don't, I don't know what you know, the, the overarching numbers say either, but I, I like it. I mean, the, the playmaking that LaMelo and Devante both give you, obviously LaMelo is a little bit better at that, but you could, you be, you're basically running two point guards, but one of them is the size of a wing. So that gives you a little bit more defensive versatility, even if LaMelo is still you know, a developing defender. Devante gives you the floor spacing. He's a, a, a very good passer, like I mentioned. I think he's a, a little bit better of a defender and more engaged than Terry Rozier is at times. So, I mean, that's definitely a bonus. And I think that allowing Terry to come off the bench and kind of have, not that he doesn't have free reign offensively now because he's putting up almost 20 points a game and continuing on his prolific three-point shooting season from last year, but I think that him being the clear focal point of an offensive unit just as a movement shooter that just every time he touches the ball, he's just looking to let it fly or attack a closeout. I think that would, that would suit him really well. I've always said basically since he came to the Hornets that him coming off of the bench would probably put him in position to win a six man of the year award at, at some point during the duration of this contract, simply because of how well he's developed as a shooter and, because of like the just the scoring mentality that he has like he he is a born scorer like he's not he's not a point guard like James Borrego showed that Terry Rozier is most likely a shooting guard for the duration of his NBA career so I think if you're going to start or if you're going to start the one one of Devante or Terry I think you start Devante because of the the playmaking advantages that it gives you and I think we should point out that James Borrego I think is the only person in the NBA who figured out Terry should be a shooting guard because oh yeah Let's be very clear. When the Hornets signed him, he was not signed to be an off-ball, off-screen, three-point marksman. He was signed to be the starting point guard. He started at point guard at the start of last season, and the returns were not great. He was, you know, absolutely pounded the ball. Um, you know, it took ages to get into any sort of offensive sets, it felt. And obviously, when Baker went out and Devontae came in, he moved to an off-ball role, and he, he looked really good. But the, the question, I guess, here is that, like, Terry came to Charlotte to start to prove because he was sick of being on the bench in Boston. Do you think he has a, a different view outlook on it now? Does, has he felt he's proved he's a starter and now he's happy to buy into whatever the team needs? Do you think, you know, if you move him to the bench that he's already looking for a way out of Charlotte and free agency next year? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a good point because yeah, I mean, the, the entire reason he left Boston was because he didn't want to be on the bench anymore. I mean, the the reason that that team didn't succeed in 2018-19 was because they had so many players that didn't want to play on the bench anymore. Uh, I mean, now, though, I think he probably would be a little bit more keen to doing that, especially because he seems to have bought into, like, the culture that, the, that James Borrego and the rest of the Hornets staff have built. Uh, at, at with him as like a basically the veteran leader before Hayward came into town and Hayward's not like a super vocal guy anyway. So I feel like Terry is probably still the, you know, the, the spiritual leader of the, of the Hornets, if you will. But so I think that he'd probably be a little bit more willing to adjust to what the coaching staff thinks is best for the team at this point, especially because yeah. he's making 18, $18 million a year. That probably doesn't help, but I mean, yeah. it, it, it would think- be difficult to, to get him to do that for sure though. And I think the other thing is, is if he can see it's the best thing for the team as well. Like he, he's got to realize, that, I mean, depending how this goes, they could end up just playing look, Terry, Devonte, and Lamelo, like, like they did last night in Utah. Obviously Devonte picked up the groin injury, but um, you know, that's another way, but he might even realize that one of him, Lamelo, Devonte are going to have to come off the bench and you never know how that's going to go. So, but if we, if we look at some of the numbers from the kind of past couple of games, I'm going to throw some of these at you and get some of your thoughts. So in terms of offensive rating with uh, Lamella at the point, Devontae at shooting guard, Hornets offensive rating is 121 points per 100 possessions, which that's 
That's a pretty good offense right there. Uh, you're, you're talking about the 96th percentile in the NBA. And one thing I do want to actually just explain briefly, because I think a lot of podcasts talk about this and they don't always explain it, is how percentiles work. Um, so generally to, to compare one team to another, it's really hard because teams play at different paces. You have different number of possessions. A percentile is basically just a way to try and uh, uniformly compare uh, different offenses or what, whatever statistic you're using at. So in this case, a 96th percentile basically means there is of two man lineups in the NBA, Devon, Devonta Graham, Lamella Ball, they're, they're, that is scoring 121 points per 100 possessions. That is the 96th best like two man lineup in terms of offensive rating in the NBA right now. So that's so if you if you hear a high number followed by something percentile, it means really good. If you hear a really low number, which we'll touch on in a minute, that means really bad. Um, so that's just a, a little bit of a guide for, for people. Um, so offense is good, 121 points, you know, thumbs up. Defense is fine. It's 106.2 points per game per 100 possessions, which again is, is pretty good in this modern age. The real issue is actually with this lineup, the team, the opposing team's offensive rebounding the opposing teams are rebounding 32% of their misses, which is basically one in three shots. Now, that's the big weakness with that lineup, but I don't even know if Devontae and Lamello, I didn't, it's not really their fault. It's not like they're getting a bunch of offensive rebounds because Devontae and Lamello are playing together. So actually the big weakness to that group, I would still put, put more blame on, on the forwards and the center position, uh, which is obviously we've seen all year has struggled against size at the rim. Yeah, like, right. None of those guys, whether it's PJ, Miles, Cody Zeller, Bismack, Viambo, I mean, even the rookie centers, like none, none of these guys are great rebounders to begin with. Not to mention the fact that PJ is 6'7", Miles is 6'6", Biz is 6'8", albeit with really long arms. Like, they do give up a lot of size. And, like, no matter how good you are at rebounding, like, if, you, if you're shorter than the guy next to you, you're, he's just going to out-rebound you most of the time. So, that that like that's probably going to be a problem that that lineup just has. I mean, I'm assuming that it stays the same, just no matter what, because of their just the the way that they are set up physically to compete. Lamelo is a great rebounder for a point guard, so that does give so you so good. A, yeah, like he he is like might be by the time that he's like a developed player, he might be the best guard rebounder in the league. Like, he's a stick as well. Like there is nothing on him. Like you talk about rebounding so much of the time. Those thick guys, guys like a PJ Tucker body, like they rebound great because they can carve out space. Lamelo is a stick. He's got size. He's got anticipation. He's got he's got that going for him. But if I mean. If he fills out and you can't just assume he's ever going to, you know, suddenly put on, become like 240 pounds, but if he can fill out and just get stronger, I mean, he is going to rebound. He could be close to eight, nine, 10 rebounds a game for a guard, which would be like outstanding. Yeah. And he is completely fearless too. That's, which is the most important part for, especially for a rookie, like, like what he he was going after Rudy Gobert last night on on the glass. Like he was taking it right at him in the fourth quarter. Like this guy does not care who's next to him. So if it, there's at least that advantage that because I think the rest of the Hornets like he he is the type of player that like his energy spreads to his teammates when he gets on the floor. And I think the rest of the Hornets play with like that kind of like collective fearlessness when he's out there. So that that helps be given PJ and Miles size disadvantage that is never going to go away given the, the fact that the Hornets play so many good big men in the Eastern conference, just on a nightly basis. But I also yeah. think Bur yeah, Borrego designs the scheme to give up a lot of offensive rebounds too. So like they might just never like that might just be a thing that they're throwing in the towel on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you're as limited as this team is defensively, you've got to pick your poison. Like you, you can't stop everything. It'd be, great. It'd be great to stop threes and stop shots at the rim and not turn the ball over. But you've, you've got to kind of choose. Like we saw it with Steve Clifford. You know, he was, we're not going to foul the other team. We're not going to turn the ball over. Like those are going to be our things where we lead the NBA each year. And, you know, Borrego, like you said, he's really focusing on trying to protect the rim, giving up quite a lot of threes, a lot of corner threes. Um, that, that's just the way that they're looking to do it. I mean, just also earlier on that further point, Lamelo Ball for point guards is already in the 92nd percentile as a defensive rebounder, as in 19-year-old. <laughs> and he is in the 100th percentile, which means 
he is the best, if not the second or third best offensive rebounder for any point guard in the NBA. And the kid is 19 and, you know, he is not a strong guy. So he is going to be, you don't talk about rebounding that much when you talk about prospects because it's kind of dull, but especially for this team, he actually really helps. Um, just want to kind of move on to like how Devonte Graham's role has kind of changed while playing with Lamelo. So I was, I was looking at the games and again, it is only a small sample size, but in those games, Devonte's three point shot went up to 44%, um, which was, was which is up from his 35% uh, beforehand. And he's also shooting 45% from the field, which was up from, I think 37% beforehand. So his efficiency has gone up playing Lex Lamelo. Um, his scoring's gone up from about 14, 15 a game to 18 per game. And his assists have dropped by about two assists per game. So you can see, you know, you can really see the impact on his number. Devon A is shooting more. He's a shooting a better percentage because he's probably getting better percentage looks. Um, he's not handling the ball as much. So his assists have gone down, but you can see his ability to adapt. And we saw that at Kansas, you know, he played point guard one year for Kansas. He played shooting guard the next year when someone else came in, like you saw that versatility. And I think that's one of the great things about Devonte as a player is he's just so malleable to the situation and he's willing to do whatever it takes. And I think that's just why the coaching staff absolutely love him because they know he could be a sixth man off the bench. He can start at the two, he can start a point and he's going to adapt his game and do, give you what the team needs. Yeah, being a basketball player is just in his genetics. Like, it doesn't matter what you're asking him to do. Like, he can do it. We saw in the in earlier in the year when he was struggling with shooting, like, he'll have a bad game from three. And then in the last five minutes, he knocks down three, three triples and, like, puts the game out of reach or brings the Hornets back or something like that. Like, like he's always going to be there when you need him. Like right now, speaking of being in the 100th percentile, Devante is in the 100th percentile in the NBA in on-off point differential per 100 possessions at plus 23.9. So the Hornets are 23.9 points better than other team when Devante is on the court. He had such a bad start to the season shooting and for him to still be in that category is just like like it's a te- it, you can't shrug it off like I know some like certain stats like this you can like individual game on off differential you don't necessarily have to give a ton of credence to that because it has a lot of effect on who they're playing with on like on the court and who what the other team does while they're on the court but over the length or over the course of 772 minutes being better than everyone in the NBA at affecting winning <laughs> when you're on the court. Like, that's not a fluke. Like, this guy is just a really good basketball player. And you like you said, he's extremely malleable. Like, now that LaMelo is the point guard, he's getting way more catch-and-shoot looks, which I think is going to help him in the long run because he got he was used to taking so many, like, contested looks off the dribble or just, like, like rushing into his shot, basically, like taking half-transition pull-up threes because he needed to to keep the Hornets in the game last year and for mo- the beginning of this season. And it's, it's, if he does miss some period of time here, so we're, we're recording this on a Sunday, uh, the Hornets play the Wizards, I believe, tomorrow. Uh, if he misses 10 games, it's going to be really interesting to see how the team's performance kind of changed. Because, like, the team missed Terry. They still went, out, still, still went on, won the second half of that Milwaukee game. They beat Miami. They played both, like, Philly and Utah pretty tough. I know we lost by 17 to Utah, but I promise you, we, we did actually play them pretty well. It's just that they shot at, like, some ungodly percentage and set a franchise record. Was it 26 threes in the end, I think? Yeah, they were. The, Utah was 26 for 50 from deep in that game. You're going <laughs> to lose like, that game no matter what you do. It's yeah, just not exactly. possible to beat a team It was like just that. impossible. So, um you know, we were, we were in that game. It'll be interesting to see how the team's performance changes if Devontae misses some time with Terry back in the lineup. And it's, I actually think these next couple of weeks have been fascinating because the last few weeks and the next couple, because we've been able to see and get an insight into what the team would look with without Terry. Now we're going to have a look, maybe what the team might look like without Devontae. Um, obviously you'd want PJ to be playing as well so you could really get a measure but you're getting a look at that without having to bench you know one of these guys you're just getting it through injury so I know it will be hurting our odds to win games I would argue if you're going to miss some key players you're going to struggle to beat Philadelphia and Utah anyway you don't want to be missing those players when you're playing your Minnesotas and OKC's 
because those are the games where we really need to win. So it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks to, to see how that plays out and, and how that could potentially frame a lot of the opinion around these guys. Okay, so we're going to move on to our next topic now, looking at areas of growth for LaMelo Ball. And I guess I'll, I'll throw it straight over to you, Chase. From the start of the year, from the kind of first three or four games, and he, he, LaMelo did not make a bad start at all. He, he still started well. But he has got even better, it seems, in the last three or four games, starting, he's really stepped up. What are the biggest areas of growth that you've seen? I think that given his slight frame for a 19-year-old and his inefficiency in Australia, finishing at the rim is by far the most impressive part of his game, or at least in terms of growth in his game so far, because... Get, like I mentioned earlier, the fearlessness helps because he will go after anybody at any time. Like he has supreme confidence to take the ball to the rim, no matter who's in front of him. So that that will help him regardless of whether or not he has the physical or skill set to capabilities to actually finish at the rim efficiently. But he's been doing pretty well at it so far. Like he has a more I feel like he, he has an understanding of how to use his body to get around players while he can't go through them yet. Because at like at the beginning of the year, he would kind of just like contort his body and, you know, lose the ball or, you know, miss the layup or just or pat like do a dump off pass like he because, he, you know, that's his best skill set. He should be looking for it, but he doesn't need to look for it every time because he's so long and he can finish at the rim be, over people and around them and stuff like that. But while like the, the coordination that he has shown has been like pretty incredible around the rim that like the, the up and under layups that he does are, are ridiculous. And for a guy that is, is so skinny, like to be able to, to finish at such a high level and develop as such as a finisher to such a degree in season is super impressive. Like he's, he's shooting 58% at the rim right now, which is within or shots within four feet of the basket It's 56 of 96 total. That's 63rd percentile, which isn't, like fantastic but it's above average and if you said that lamello ball would be an above average finisher in efficiency before his seed the season started like like i was one of the biggest proponents of lamello ball that like i i know of and i would i would not have guessed that he would have been even close to this good so that that's what's impressed me the most so far no, I, I completely agree. I, I remember I was listening to the uh, Nate Duncan and Spencer Percy on the pod in preseason. And I think Nate put to Spencer, like, what would you say is a success for LaMelo's like effective field goal percentage this year? And like, they both kind of agreed, like if he can get even like 50% on effective field goal percentage, he would like, that would be fantastic. Cause he's not, and he's never been an efficient player. He's always been a highlight player. He's never been an efficient player. Um, I'm not sure what he's at right now. You'll probably be able to pull it up, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm, I'd like to bet that he's above that right now, or at least hovering very close to it. Have you got it there? Yeah, he's at 52% effective field goal, which is the 50th percentile. So he's exactly average at it. And that's with like no training camp, no summer league, yes, you know, exactly. thrown in after nine months. Like there is no reason he should be that efficient right now. And I think I saw David Locke uh, from the, the host of the Locked On NBA podcast tweet out the other day that LaMelo started the year 10 of 29 at the rim. Since then, and this was, I think, before last night's game, he is 42 of 61% at the rim. So, like, straight away, you can just see he, he's just figuring this game out on the fly. And I think your, your point about, like, contorting your body and using his length to finish is a really good one because he's not a power finisher by any means. But I think what's also helped him was early on in the year, he was driving to pass. He wasn't driving to score. And... Teams were figuring that out. And I think teams have added to the scouting card, right, make LaMelo score on us, okay? We know he can pass the ball. We know he can do all of this. Let's make him score. And I don't think what they expected is that LaMelo's just been like, okay, then I'll score. If you're going to take the passing lanes away, if you're not going to help off guys and you're going to let me, you know, drive at a big or, or get, let me get kind of a bit of advantage and get going to the rim, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna finish, whether it's these kind of changing hand from side to side, lefty flick shots. That he's just got such a bag of ways to finish. You, you just don't know what to expect as a shot blocker. Um, and he's done well, like kind of picking up fouls on some of the big guys, whether it's 
Uh, Rudy last night, he's, he's done a good job on him and some of the guys, like really picking up those fouls at key moments. So you're, you're completely right. His, his finishing around the rim um, has, has really opened up his game because I don't think anyone expected him to be that. And you see, like, I, I feel like the number of those Lamello floaters that you see from like 15 to 20 feet, the, the, the more confident he is, the more of those he takes. And you saw in that Utah game, I feel like he took three, I want to say. And you, you don't always see that on the nights where his shot's not falling or he's struggling efficiently. But when he's going, you know he's feeling good about that because he's just got such good touch. Yeah, he had that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. His touch is like at like elite level for especially for such a young NBA player. Like for him to be able to just throw that shot up from 15 feet and have it like like it looks like a bad shot. It should be a bad shot. But it's like not because he's he's just so good at, at throwing at layups, basically, that he can take layups from 10 feet away. It's 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 very impressive to me. I also think his shooting percentages have been pretty like pretty. They've been not they're not great by any means, but he's shooting 43.7 percent from the field, 33 percent from three, 78.7 percent uh, from the free throw line. And his true shooting percentage is 54 percent. So that's not great. But for someone his age and given his inefficiency in Australia, that is, that that's, that's more than you can ask for. And again, it just speaks to how quickly he's figuring this out. Like it's, it's, it's so impressive that he's been doing this with no preparation time at all. He got drafted by the Hornets and then was practicing in a gym with them like two weeks later. And now he's, you know, clearly the best rookie in the NBA is per 36 minute numbers or approaching a triple double. Like it's, it's, it's truly absurd. The, The Hornets got, very lucky that the Warriors and Timberwolves made uh, a mistake. <laughs> and that they jumped up to three, which I still maintain. Yeah, that's true. I've to- I still I maintain forget about that. Of the year 2020, that was the best day of 2020. Like no one can convince me otherwise. Oh, I was on a, a high. I was on a high for a week. I watched, I just re-watched it like time after time of us moving up to three. Like I, that was of a terrible year. That was like, one of the best things that happened to this organization and it's down to luck. And we like to kind of give praise to front offices and coaches and stuff like that. Like there is this huge chunk of luck in the NBA. You see it all the time, the cap spike, Golden State Warriors getting KD. Um, You know, the fact that the year that LeBron wanted to go back to Cleveland, they ended up with the number one pick with Wiggins that they could then trade for Kevin Love. Like there's, there's things that happen time and time again that are, are lucky um and that was a big slice of luck which quite frankly charlotte deserved we have had our fair share of anthony davis heartbreaks over the year so it was it was about time we got that um i, I want to pose a question to you chase how worried are you about the turnovers you know right now he's uh i don't know between like two and a half three games something like that um how, yeah how worried about those long term do you feel See, I'm not like I I kind of assumed that at the beginning of his career, he would probably turn the ball over a little bit just because he's getting adjusted to the NBA. And that's like an exceptionally hard thing to do, especially when you're 19 years old, having played overseas. But I honestly I'm not over. I'm not concerned about it like at all, I think is, is how I would put it. Like when he was in Australia, his assist to turnover percentage was like three to one so and that that was in a league of grown men that are like i mean the, the nbl is probably more competitive than anything that's not a power five nca basketball conference or the nba like so i I'm, i he had put up numbers at a high level in a league that was like good enough to make me think that like when he gets to the nba the talent discrepancy won't be so so different that he's going to struggle with this for a long time. Like I, like there was a, I, th- I believe it was Toronto or Chicago that he had five or six turnovers. And like the, he, the, the mistakes that you make as a young player were very evident in that game. Like he just dribbles the ball up sometimes and someone just strips him because he's, you know, looking at somebody else. He's trying to call a play, you know, just, just rookie mistakes. And he cleaned them up. Like, like he, he cleaned them up pretty quickly. I'm sure he'll have bad games again, but. You know, but yeah. we, we'll take what we can get. And it's it's been pretty good so far. And I think it's it's the type of turnovers. I think it's the key thing. You know, if it's one of those where it 
you know, flicks off Biz's hands and goes out of bounds. Like at least the team can get back and set on defense. It's those ones where he's like takes off in midair, throws the ball, the interception, and it's a two-on-one and it's a score down the other end. So you, you can hear JB, like he's been Brago talking in his press conferences about how do you balance, you know, you want him to evolve as a player and to experiment and to learn what will happen. And um, at the same time, you saw that one game when he did get benched, when I think he had five or six, maybe just in the first half, um, you've got to hold him accountable. So I, I'd say I'm a little bit worried. For me, it's just like the type of turnovers. He's got to understand there's, there's, uh, there's always an element of risk with every pass. Certain types of passes, depending where you're trying to pass the ball, if it goes wrong, it'll be two points. If it doesn't, you can get back and set your defense. So I think for me, that's just the thing I, I, he needs to focus on. And I do feel like even though he had six turnovers against a Philly, I do feel his turnovers weren't as bad as maybe some of the other games where he had five or six turnovers. So it will be interesting to, to monitor how that goes. Okay, uh, moving on to our last segment today. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've got Hector joining us now, um, aka Sombrero Man. Um, so Hector, thank you so much for joining us. You are our first official guest about the Hive Live. All right. um, welcome to the pod. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Good. And um, where, can, where can people find you on Twitter if they want to, Hector? Uh, my handle is at F-K-N-T-O-R-O. Yeah, FKN, and you know what it means, and Toro is my, my nickname. Toro ah, means cool. Yeah. So if you aren't already, make sure make sure you're following Hector on there. And um, so we're gonna be we're gonna be chatting to Hector today. We got a load of things to throw at Hector. We we just want to learn a little bit about Hector because if you've watched any Hornets games in the last few years, you've seen Sombrero Man on Fox Sports Southeast on <laughs> social media. He is yeah. absolutely everywhere. Um, he's a must follow. So. I kind of, I want to speak to you first, Hector. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, why are you a Charlotte Hornets fan? Um, when did you start coming to games? Tell, tell the people. Tell, how right. did the Man start? So, uh, I'm originally from Mexico. So I was born and raised in Mexico. And I moved to the States when I was 15 years old. Uh, that's a long time ago. Anyways, we moved to California. So I, I, I lived in California for a long time. And then my wife got a a job offered to work for Bank of America corporate, which the corporate uh, offices are here in Charlotte. So that's when we moved here in 2006. Uh, back then I was a, a Lakers fan. I grew up being a Lakers fan. I was supporting the Lakers through and through. And I used to take my, you know, Lakers jersey to the Hornets games and stuff like that. I was not a season ticket holder then. It was just, you know, random games here and there. But, uh, the more I got to the games, it was more like the, the people there. It was so welcoming. So it was so nice just being at the Hive and stuff like that. Then the opportunity came up to be a season ticket holder. Once I was a season ticket holder, um, you know, as a season ticket holder, you get the opportunity to go and get autographs and meet the players and stuff like that. And all of the players back then uh, were so down to earth. It's like like talking to a regular person, Kemba Walker and MKG and Bismack and uh, Jeff Adrian, I mean, names that, you know, it, it's, it's weird to know. So anyways, they were just nice. And then I remember going to a Lakers game and I'm a Lakers fan and I'm like, oh, I thought it was going to be the same, the same way with the Lakers. But um, I remember it was Chris Kamen, I think it was. I don't know if he was playing with the Lakers. Anyways, I asked for an autograph and he, right off the bat, he said, no, like blatantly, you know, I was sitting by the tunnel with a, I think it was a basketball card. And I'm like, dude, can you, can you sign this? And he's like, nope. And he just kept walking. And I'm like, oh, that's strange. Cause you know, the Hornets never say no. They always stop and they sign and they talk. And I'm like, okay. And then I remember one time asking Kobe for an autograph and he blatantly ignored me and the thousand people that were there just to get an autograph. And I'm like, man, what's up with these guys? So that's when I became like a hardcore Hornets fan, you know? And I'm like, these guys, they take the time to talk to you, even if it's for like two seconds, which is an enormous time for an NBA player, just to say hello. And some of the team uh, or some of the players don't take the time not even to acknowledge you, which, you know, I, I kind of sucks because the fans are the ones that make the league, I guess. So, yeah. 
Um, yeah, and I think obviously when I I came over to Charlotte to watch an NBA game last New Year's, um, and I was very fortunate to to have a little chat with you, and I got to yeah. meet you, which was which was great. And um, I think you told me at the time I was just trying to remember before this. It was either Eddie Nahara or Jonas Gutierrez who we signed to a 10-day contract. Didn't you go for dinner with them or have that number or like yes. how you talked about that relationship with the players? You actually had a really good relationship with some of those it, Mexican uh, heritage guys, didn't you? Yes. So it was actually Jorge Gutierrez. Um, when he was, you know, I, I heard about the news that we got him on a 10-day contract and I called my, my account rep and I told him, dude, I never bother these guys for anything. There's a lot of people that ask and get me down to the you know court or give me this, give me that and the other. And they they can tell you I can I never call them for anything. So at that particular moment, I call my, my rep and I tell them, dude, this guy, it's a Mexican player, he plays for the Mexican national team. Please do anything in your power just for me to see the guy and get his autograph at the tunnel, you know, or whatever. And he's like, Yeah, I got you. So he, you know, took me down to the tunnel they had a, a autograph session after a game and as Jorge was coming out signing for everybody you know he saw me because I was wearing the Mexico flag and stuff like that so you know I asked him dude I'm, I'm a huge follower and you know I've been following you since you were in the national Mexican team and all that stuff and can you sign this so he signed it and we started talking talking to each other in Spanish of course and when we first said hello to each other, it's like we were best friends that we haven't seen each other for a long time. We shook hands, we hugged, and we were just hanging out. And from that moment, I, you know, I told him, hey, so my mother-in-law wants to make Chile Colorado for you. You know, it's just a crapshoot because you never know, you know, if it's going to work or not. And I'm like, I don't know what the policy is between fans and players and stuff like that. I don't want to get you in trouble. I don't want to get me in trouble. But if you ever interested, let me know. And then we'll go out. And he's like, no, let me have your number. So we exchanged numbers right there and then. And after that meeting, we became friends. You know, I was hooking him up where to get his haircut and, you know, stuff like he needed help with. And, you know, it became such a good friendship that, you know, he, we started hanging out a lot. So it was, it was cool. It's, it's, it's cool. To this day, I keep in touch with him. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's, what's Jonas up to these days? Is he still playing professionally overseas? Yes, he, he's playing in Europe. Um, in Greece, I think it's the last time I, I talked to him. Uh, oh. He's in Greece right now. Yeah, but I've been keeping up with him. He, he went to Germany and then Spain and then Turkey. And, and you know, we, we text each other and yeah, we keep up. Good. And for any Hornets fans who don't know Jonas, great hair, great, great Hornets hair for, for a Hornets player. Definitely, definitely go check it out. I like it. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yes. All right, Chase, I know you had some things you wanted to, to throw at Hector as well. Well, first of all, thank you for coming on, Hector. I hadn't got to say no that problem. yet, but I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, it's all, I also think it's super cool that you just went to the Hornets games and were like, I really like the people here. Cause that is like, I, cause I'm from Maine. I've only been to Charlotte one time, but that's literally the exact same thing as what I did yes. to become a Hornets fan. I went to a game. It was the Hornets and Sixers. I paid like $5 to get in, mm-hmm. but I, it was the best $5 I've ever spent in my life because like I sat and talked to an arena worker for like 20 minutes, just about the Hornets. Like everyone there is so nice. And it, that it, it's crazy that that is, it's been the same way since like 2006. I mean, that's, right now that's, that you mentioned that, uh, I just want to point out that every time I go to a Hornets game, it's like, like a family from the ushers, from the ticket guy that takes you in. I don't know if it just happens to me because I happen to have this big hat with me and then, you know, my size also does not help. I'm, I'm huge. I'm the size of a basketball player and the size of a football player because I'm big and tall. So anyways, the ticket guys, the ushers, the uh, people that sit around me, we keep in touch. We talk to each other. We say hello. And, and that in itself, it makes you feel like family, you know, and it's, and it's an awesome feeling. Every time I go there, I tell my wife, it's like my second home. Because everybody treats me so nice, you know, ask me about my kids. They ask me about my wife. When they see her, you know, they ask her, oh, we haven't seen you in a while. It's only you and Isaac, you know, my, my little one that goes with me to the games, you know. So it's, it's kind of cool to, to have that experience. I mean, even when I went uh, last New Year's, I went to see uh, Kemba's second game in Charlotte. Boston were in town. Um, and like I, the Hornets, because they, I, I kind of, tried to let them know I was coming. 
you know, and they did organize like some little things that were really cool for me to like see some of the behind the scenes stuff, which was, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, and they like, they did not need to do that. Um, they, they just offered. And like in one of these things, like one of the things I saw was Kemba arriving and Kemba was walking down the hallway and one of the security guards were there. Kemba stopped and he spoke to every security guard on the way in, asked them how they were, how the family were. Everyone was buzzing to see Kemba. Kemba was buzzing to see everyone. And like, you talk about all these people talk about, oh, Kemba's one of the nicest guys in the NBA. Like, that's why. Like, he doesn't care who you are, where you're from. He will stop and he will talk to you. And I mean, it, it was like, it was everything you hear. And I just actually saw it firsthand. And I, I just thought that was, that was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. It is cool. It, that same game that you mentioned, I got the opportunity to sit um, courtside when he walked in for the warm-ups. And he was only allowed, I guess, to greet three groups of people. Uh, Mike and Elizabeth, I don't know if you know the old people that always make uh, right. brownies for him. Yeah. Yeah. And then his family, some, uh, I forgot, the big brother kids. There were four kids there. Yeah, and he I did a huge a, thing with the Boys and Girls Club while he was here. I remember yes. that, yeah. And I was the other one that was fortunate enough that he came over and we said hello and, and we talked about, you know, things. It was just like two minutes. But, dude, that, to me, you know, to me, it was the most amazing feeling in the world because I'm nobody. I am nobody. I'm just a fan that has a Mexico hat and just goes crazy at the games. And he was able to take a couple of seconds just to say hello and just to talk which is amazing. You know, I'm so sad. I've generally just got chills. <laughs> He's talking about that. Like, I was generally just like, man, Kemper is such a good guy. <laughs> it is. He is awesome, dude. And he remembers things. He, yeah, he's, he's, he's awesome. Yeah. So I know you've been a, a teacher from following you a long time or on Twitter, <laughs> Hector. So yes. do your, do your students know uh, the extent to which the Hornets fandom goes? Do they know that you're sombrero man and on Twitter and all that stuff? Yes. Some of the eighth graders do because they have more access to social media. The other one, cause I teach middle school from fifth grade to eighth grade. The little ones have no clue. They just see Hornet stuff on the wall in my classroom and stuff like that. And, and you know, of course, I always get crap like, oh, you are a Hornet fan. I'm like, yeah. But when I tell them who I am, like, oh, I have, you know, my, uh, my second personality, I guess. And then I show them YouTube videos or, and I tell them, you can just Google Hornets and Burrowman. And they do. And all of a sudden, my scale rises up to number 10. Like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know you were a celebrity. And this, I'm like, I'm no celebrity. I just, a random dude that people like to take pictures and videos of. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool. It helps out in my classroom because people pay attention when I talk. <laughs> yeah, that's always, that's always something you can talk about with kids that like basketball too. That, mu- that must yeah. be wicked cool. What was, uh, it is. I know, yeah, and I know you mentioned uh, going with your, with your son to the games as well. What was the last game that you actually went to before the Hornets CSC uh, ended last year? I was there for that last game. Uh, what was it? They play in Miami when 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 it happened, right? So the game before that, because it was I think it was game. like Houston, I believe, right? I like believe er, so. like mid March, March tenth, yes. something like that. We'll go the with that. last that home game. Right. Yeah, because I I try to go to every single home game. I'm one of those that don't get rid of the tickets. I'm I'm always there, regardless. Yeah. Cool, and then. One story that we also need to find out is the sombrero itself. Like, where where has that come from? Like, did you just wake up one day and be like, yep, I'm going to wear a massive Hornet sombrero? So, and that's it? Like, how did that happen? It's funny that you mentioned. So, you know, the NBA has this uh, Black History Month and Hispanic Heritage Month and all that stuff. Sure. So this happened, I don't know how long ago, maybe five, six years ago. They had what it's called Noches NBA, which is Latino Nights. And they, I don't know if you noticed, sometimes they have Los Hornets, Los Lakers, the letters L-O-S on their jerseys. So anyways, that particular night, I figured, I don't know if you know this, but every time the Mexico national team plays any sport, you will see a Mexican in there with a big old Mexico hat. It doesn't matter what part of the world it is or what sport it is. As long as it's Mexico against somebody, you will see a Mexican with a sombrero. 
So I figured, okay, we're going to have Noches Latinas, you know, Noches NBA. Let me just take my sombrero and see what happens. And I just took a regular sombrero, not, not, not this one that I had painted, you know. It was just a plain sombrero. And it was my wife and I. So, you know, they do this dance cam and all that stuff. So my wife and I started dancing. And then I put the sombrero and I was just going crazy. And um, they put me on the jumbo train about three times that night. And every time they put me on, I was, you know, people went crazy. like ah. So anyways, that game ended. We went home. And then the following game, I didn't take the sombrero because it was not Noches and Eva. So I was just like a regular fan. But people recognized me. And then they're like, hey, aren't you that guy that was dancing around with the sombrero? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, you should bring that sombrero every game. And I'm like, okay. So after that, I just started bringing it every game. And I was getting on the Jumbotron all the time. And I kind of liked it because people... That's one of the things that I like. Uh, people get riled up, get loud and all that stuff. So I started bringing it and, you know, the rest is history. Every game that I go to, I bring this around. Yeah. And now obviously with, with no fans in the arenas, you've had to uh, change your tact a little bit with some virtual, some gr- I see you've got a green screen going. Talk yes. us, what, what inspired you about that? Um, <laughs> to like, how, how did that all come around? Because I've seen a, a large array of, of gifts now from you. <laughs> so about two years ago, the Hornets uh, media department contacted me. They're like, we're going to do, it was before the season. You know how they do the same thing for the players with a green screen and stuff like that. And they're like, we want to invite you over so you can do some gifts and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm game. So I went to the arena. They put me in the studio. And I was doing dances and glasses and the cooking and all kinds of different props. And uh, it, it never panned out for some reason. They never got to me or whatever. But when I was there in the studio, it didn't look that difficult. I'm like, it's just a camera. I mean, of course, our cameras are way better than my phone, I guess. And it was just a green screen in the background. So when all this pandemic started, I remember getting like a, a, a piece of fabric that was green. And I put it behind me for my Zoom meetings at school. And it worked. I'm like, hey, that, that's kind of cool. It worked. And then I remember that I went to the Hornets to do that stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start doing my own gifts. You know, because it's hard for me to find a particular gift that I want for games and reactions and stuff like that. So I just figure out, make my own. And that's what I did. Yeah. I got I love the commitment in terms of like you can't be there but you still you still want to do something like creative which is which is awesome like we need more fans like you yeah. and we, I remember like saying during the game like we need more fans like you because you're loud at the games as well like I am I am very loud <laughs> my voice carries people can, people can hear you so yes. uh, that's that's awesome um Chase, I also have got- a, a signature thing that I do I don't know if you guys noticed this uh, during game time when it's when it was live I sit behind the basket on the visitor's side and I'm about 15 rows from the, from the court. So whenever there's free throws, I try to psych whoever's shooting uh, to make noises and stuff like that. And I have this barking sound that sounds like a Rottweiler, like a real dog. And, and it's loud. And sometimes when I do that, you know, it, it, it actually makes the players miss because they not, they're not expecting a dog inside the arena. And then what I do <laughs> is I stomp real hard on the floor. And it, since it's metal, you can hear the big old stomp because everybody's so quiet and stuff like that. But then when I hit it, sometimes I do two things. I either bark like a dog or I do like a dog fight when two dogs are fighting. And they freak out and they miss free throws. And I love that with a passion. And am I right in thinking, have I seen you with giant player heads before? Is that a thing I've seen you with? <laughs> yes, that's another thing that I do. So I wanted to make fat heads. It's called fat heads. They call them fat heads here. And it's the printout of the face of the player, but it's three feet by two feet wide. They're huge. And I also use those to psych the players out. And I usually make fat heads of our players, you know, just reactions like yelling and screaming and stuff like that. And, and it's kind of cool because every time we dance around, I put one of those fat heads. There's a ton online, uh, a ton of pictures with me dancing with Jeremy Lamb and, you know, Kemba Walker and, you know, Terry Rozier. Yeah, I have a bunch of those. Nice. Okay, Chase, you got anything else you want to throw at Hector before we get to our last couple of segments here? 
Uh, just real quick, is there uh, is there anything that you actually like like about being a virtual fan? I know being being in person, being able to yell and scream and go crazy is the is the the whole point. That's the best part. But is there anything about watching the games at home as a virtual fan that you've kind of you've come to come to enjoy over the last few months? Uh, the the thing that I really like and I've seen grow is the fandom on Twitter. I'm I'm usually mostly on Twitter, and I've seen a lot of people, even my regular people that sit around me in the arena, like CC, um, you know, all the people that sit, sit around me and they chime in and they, you know, comment about the game and they put gifs and all that stuff. So I, I really like that. A lot of people, you know, Hornets fans are getting together during games. And that tells me that there's a lot of people watching. Yeah, I think, I mean, Chase, you can probably agree with this as well. For, for me, like Twitter is my only way to interact with fans over here. Yep. Shocked there are not a lot of Charlotte Hornets fans living on my street or in my country. Um, <laughs> so like, I, I, I completely understand. Like if you go to games, it's a bit like if I go to like a football or a soccer game over here, I don't discuss the game about Twitter because I just speak to the people around me or speak to my friends. Like, but with the, with the basketball, like I can understand that's completely different. And it's, yeah, it's, it's great being able to have that interaction um, during the game and, and kind of like react with other people as well. So uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely really cool. Yeah, but I do miss it. I, I really miss, you know, being at the games because sometimes I, I get the opportunity to go close to the court and, and that's when I can yell directly to the players. I'm never disrespectful. I never say the F word or anything like that. I just try to, you know, make them smile or, you know, actually look at me. And, and I love that. You know, there's some players that actually recognize me from opposing teams that they get mad at the, you know, during game time. And then Which at players? the end, they just Tell give us. me a nod. Na- name them. Name them. Which players? Blake Griffin. One time it was <laughs> yes. free throws. And I was barking <laughs> at him and he missed. But as soon as he missed, I looked away and I was on my phone and he looked at me because my friend was telling me and he looked at me. He was mad dogging me, you know, and he's like, my friend was bumping me like, hey, Blake Griffin wants to talk to you. And I'm like, ah, forget him. And I just kept going on my phone. <laughs> and then when he was shooting again, I looked up and then I started barking at him. And then after he just looked at me, you know, like, what the hell, you know, and then he went on his way. But so yeah, you're not those- going to get... You're not going to get thrown out by LeBron then? Uh, no. Like, like the other week. I, I, I'm, we're about the same size, so I can handle myself now. Um, <laughs> the other one, it's, this is a true story. So, Serge Ibaka, this happened a long time ago when he was playing with OKC. Uh, before he was going to the court for warm-ups, you know, I asked him if I could have his, his shoes after the game. And it, all of this in Spanish, because I don't know if you know Serge Ibaka is fluent yeah, in yeah. Spanish. So I was asking to him in Spanish, hey, Serge, is there any way I can get your shoes after the game? And he's like, yeah, for sure, man. I was wearing the hat, the sombrero. So I guess that, you know, makes that connection and he can remember and all that stuff. So anyways, it was close to my birthday. It was in January. My birthday's in January 12th. My account rep came over middle of the game and he's like, hey, I know that your birthday is tomorrow or something like that. So I have these two tickets. We're going to upgrade you so you can sit courtside. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. So we sat down, courtside, not courtside, but the second seat behind the, the front row. So anyways, I was behind the basket, and then Sergi Vaca was shooting free throws, and, and I couldn't help myself, so I started barking, <laughs> and I was making noise, and I was talking to him in Spanish, like, Serge, please, miss, and I was barking, going crazy, and as he's bouncing the ball, he looked at me, he's like, really, the shoes? And I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> he just to say I didn't get the shoes <laughs> but oh, yeah, it's, yeah I, I sacrificed a pair of shoes for the Hornets and that, I mean that's, I'm that's okay the with commitment that. we like that's the commitment we like so <laughs> yeah. I've got the, the only bad thing about the sombrero is I would hate to sit behind you because yeah. <laughs> between, well, between how tall you are and the hat I mean that's a lot <laughs> of stuff to look over so I, I don't a lot of people have that misconception that I wear the sombrero all the time and no I don't I take the sombrero off during game, and whenever they blow the whistle for a timeout or a break or anything like that, that's when I automatically put it on, and then I stand up. But during game time, of course, I'm respectful enough not to, you know, put it on. Yeah. A lot of people think like, oh, my God, must be horrible sitting behind (laughs) you. And and no, it's not. As a matter of fact, the people that sit around me, around my seats, 
they have picked those seats because they want to sit with me. And you'll see that every time I see you see the, the video of me, you're going to see the same people around me because they yeah. love it. They love the, you know, just being loud. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, we were, we were talking yesterday and we were thinking like, is Hector, AKA Sombrero Man, the, the Hornets super fan? And we thought we were wondering, how do you feel about that? Do, would you embrace that? Do you, do you, how do you feel about being called a super fan if that were to happen? Oh, I'll be more than happy to carry that flag with me. But I know I'm, I'm a newbie in, in concept of, of years, you know, because I just became a season ticket holder, what, seven years ago? And I've been going hard at it about those seven years. But I'm sure that there's more people that are more hardcore fans than I am. Maybe they don't show it as much. You know, maybe they, they are, are not like this umbrella carrying guy or there, I, I remember somebody mentioned the brick uh, sign guy. There's a guy that used to do that or uh, a couple of guys that did the defense or something like that. There was a, it was, you know what? I know who the, it's Mike Godsey, okay, mm-hmm. who runs the Rolling Hornets, which is the para basketball team based in Charlotte. And right. I believe he used to put a B over the, the banner from the, the, top tier of the stadium every mm-hmm. time the hornets got a block he used to put a new b down so you could see how many b's there were i, uh, I think i remember okay. i used to i used to you know mike way back when when i used to go on game time chats on hornets.com back before like twitter even existed i spoke to mike randomly through a chat and mike like sent me t-shirts teal towels through the post from the us when i was like a 17 year old kid in England, he sent that to me because he knew I was a passionate Hornets fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I actually, I do remember Mike. Um, I think that was who did that, which, uh, which is awesome. And I'd kind of like semi forgotten that until you just reminded me then. So that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, they, there might be other people that have been hardcore, like hardcore fans since the inception of the Hornets back in the what, 88, 89. And you know, I just became a, a, a Hornet fan about seven years ago. So I, if, Somebody names me the super hardcore fan, by all means, I'll take it. And I'll defend that flag with, yeah, with passion, of course. But we're naming you it. We're, we're starting right now. <laughs> we, are, we are dubbing you super fan um, of the Charlotte Hornets. I'll um, take and it. it's going gonna, it's gonna to catch. So. And I know um, Red Fox, you know, the old man that just passed away yeah. uh, not too long ago. He was uh, always at the games and stuff like that. I, I, got, I was fortunate enough to meet him a bunch of times. He was a, a cool cat and, you know, um, my prayers to the family, of course. But yeah, he was one of those hardcore fans as well. Yeah. No, he, he absolutely was. And um, I remember the Fox Sports Southeast did a nice little tribute to him, I yes. think, uh, a few games ago. So that was, that was really good. Yeah. Chase, anything else you want to throw at Hector? Uh, I mean, before you go... <laughs> we, we're gonna do this to every guest, so we're, don't worry. We're not picking on you, but we gotta oh, okay. get we gotta get one bold prediction for the Charlotte Hornets for the rest of the season before you get out of here. Uh, I don't think it's bold, but Lamelo, Lamelo, he's been balling out, dude, and I think he's gonna get Rookie of the Year because the way he's playing, the way he, you know what? I, I have in, in my memory the '76 game when everybody just was thinking about just letting go at the end of the game, 18 seconds to go. And then Joel Embiid had the ball to pass it, pass the half. He didn't give up. Dude, I went freaking bananas. I'm like, let's go. You got that ball. I don't care if you're down by one, if you're down by 20. Don't give up. Don't give up. Show them what you got. And, and right there and then, I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious, this kid – I know some of the players are going to be mad at him because of what he did. I don't know the unwritten rule of doing that thing, taking the ball away and trying to score. But he tried. He took the ball away. He scored that three. And they kept us alive. You know, they, they gave us hope. I know we were down by 10, but you never know what's going to happen in 18 seconds, dude, especially in the NBA when you can stop the clock. So... I, I was it, I was just mesmerized by it, and right there and then I'm like, dude, this guy's rookie of the year, given, boom, done. 
This is probably going to make me unpopular, but as someone who bet the Philadelphia 76ers money line in that game, <laughs> which was, I believe, <laughs> six and a half, and that three, I think, cut it to five, I was absolutely furious. Oh, people were well, sweating. I remember yeah. that. So many people were mad on Twitter when, oh, uh, when the and then, um, I think I think Philly Philly hit some free throws, I think, down the end to stretch it back out, and they, they ended up with a seven-point win, which meant which my, which my bet came in. I mean, I will, I'll come out and admit right there, like, I... I go for the good bets. And if they're against the Hornets, look, it sometimes happens. It doesn't make me any <laughs> yeah. less of a fan. Trust me, as, as you guys can see from my background. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it was an incredible play, but I didn't know whether to cheer or cry at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not a betting guy, so, but I have plenty of friends that go bananas betting. And I, I heard it from them, like they were testing me. <laughs> what the hell is your boy doing? And this and that. I'm like, dude, we're playing out for wins. I'm not playing out for, you know, points or money or I'm just a fan that wants my team to win. And that right there, that was awesome. So that's my bold prediction. He's going to get rookie of the year. Great. No, thanks for that. So we're going to track all of these bold predictions from our guests who come on and we're going to go back over them at the end of the year. And, uh, but yeah, I think (laughs) that one's got a good chance, you know, Lamelo's in pole position right now. So, yeah. Okay. Moving on to our very last segment and, um, this is going to be something we're going to try out. We're going to see how it goes, see how popular it is. A little section called Defend the Indefensible. And this is a stolen, completely stolen from another podcast radio show that I listen to over in the UK called uh, Fighting Talk. And uh, how it works is I will give a statement to you, Hector. And we're going to do a little example run through a chase so you can see how it works. But I'm going to give you a statement, Hector. And no matter what I say, you have to defend it for 20 seconds, okay? Oh and then I'll goodness. give you a bit of a signal over the Zoom to, to let you know your time is up. And if you, if you don't fill the time, you'll, you'll be penalized. If you go on for too long, longer than 20 seconds, you get penalized. And depending how well you defend the indefensible, me and Chase are going to give you a score, okay? Um, now, this is the first time, obviously, we're doing this. So we, we're going to kind of give you a bit of an example first so you can kind of see how it works. Um, so for example, I'm going to give chase his defend the indefensible. I will say go, he will have 20 seconds. So the defend the indefensible I'm going to give chase is, I don't care how good Lamelo ball has been. We should have traded up for James Wiseman go. You know, in the modern NBA, uh, perimeter defense isn't the most important thing. And if you're going to be founding a team on defense you need a guy that's really tall and athletic to anchor that defense that can potentially switch on to smaller players james wiseman can do that lamello doesn't have the same defensive versatility um you know offense doesn't matter it's only 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 defense and being tall so that is why they should have traded up for james wiseman Okay, so you get the idea right there from Chase. You get the idea. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, I'm not good at this. <laughs> so I've, I've got one very specific for you, Hector. Oh, Lord. Oh, <laughs> Go for it. Are you ready? <laughs> sure. So the Hornets are better without fans, and my cheering only makes them worse. Go. There's no way uh, they can make it worse. They need fans <laughs> in that arena to pump up the crowd for sure. And they need me. They need me to be barking at those players trying to shoot free throws so I can make a miss so we can win. Well, you went completely the opposite of what I was hoping right there. You just... <laughs> I told so... you I wasn't good at this. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Hector has refused to defend the indefensible. Instead, he just decided to, yeah. to talk about how good he was at cheering. But yeah. you know what? It was, a, it was a good first attempt, and I still enjoyed it. So I we'll, think uh, he we'll said was for... incorrect. So that's, that's <laughs> the important part. There you yeah. go. <laughs> um, we, will, uh, we will hopefully do this again uh, with another guest as well. Um, any kind of closing remarks from anyone before, before we finish up here? Floor is yours, uh, Hector. I just want to say that I really miss being in person at the arena. I really miss just, you know, talking to some other fans. And I really miss the, the, the yelling and the being loud in that arena, especially the way Lamelo and the, the, the rest of the team are playing. You know, Miles Bridges with those dunks. Oh, man, I would have gone bananas over there. Uh, Terry Rozier with the way he's playing. Even, you know, those dunks at the, you know, this, this past few games with the big head honchos from the other teams, you know, against Brooklyn, 
against, uh, you know, the, 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 the other teams. Uh, Luca, the way he was just mesmerized at the, the end, or not mesmerized, but, you know, just de depleted and defeated. And that look at the end of the game, you know, I, I just would love to be there for, for that. And not only me, I'm, I'm sure that there's plenty of other fans that would love just to be there for the yelling and the screaming and the just going crazy. The arena goes alive when there's one of those dunks and one of those plays and Lamelo is balling out and it's helping everybody else, you know, just to, to be, you know, to, to step off that game, which is amazing. I love it. Malik Monk, dude, oh my God, yes. I, I love, I miss being there. Trust me, I, I miss being there a lot. All right. Well, um, I think we'll we'll finish it there. I mean, I, like you, I'm I'm sure a lot of guys who are used to going to the game uh, can't wait to get back in the building. And e even watching the game, the game doesn't have the same feel without the fans there, even by TV. Like, yeah. so you know, I'm I'm cheering for it just as much as you guys are, and so hopefully, as soon as it's safe to do so, I'm, I'm sure Charlotte will have them back in. So, um, Hector, thank you so much for being our first ever guest on All At right. the Hive Live. Um, you know, hopefully you will come on again in the future at some point. Anytime. Uh, but thank you so much for the time. Anytime. Uh, thank you guys for, for inviting me. Uh, I loved it. Thank you. Thank you, Appreciate Hector. It. Appreciate it. All right. So another big thank you to Hector for coming on and being our, the inaugural guest on the At The Hive Live podcast with Chase and James. Uh, our next episode is probably going to be a mailbag episode which means if, if any of you have listened to another podcast, which, uh, you know, I assume that that has happened. I assume at the hive live is not the first podcast you've ever heard. Uh, mailbag episodes are when any listener can send in a question that they want me and James to answer or discuss or what have you on the air. So any, anything that you guys want us to talk about or you want us to bring up or you want us to shed some light on or anything, you email that question to at the hive one at gmail.com and we will peruse that inbox and we're not going to get to every single question because we'd probably be here for multiple hours, but we'll answer some of the best ones. And yeah, I mean, John and Zach will be back early next week to talk about the upcoming Hornets games. They play the Wizards on Sunday, the Houston Rockets on Monday, the Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday, and the Minnesota Timberwolves on Friday. So have a good week, guys, and go Hornets.